Hey gang, welcome to episode 116 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. Today on the show, um, a serious and uh, important topic. Oh, we're going to be talking about safety. We're going to be talking about uh, the design and uh, uh, running of shows that are safe for people to go through. Uh, we've had a few scares here in Los Angeles, uh, not of the consensual kind of late, and we wanted to get the people that we know who are the best at creating shows that feel dangerous, but in fact are perfectly safe. Um, so from Delusion, we've got production designer Kevin Williams and lighting and designer and technical director Ian Momi. And from Creep, uh, their creative consultant, David Ruzicka, are here, uh, or about to be here, I mean, they were here earlier, you know how we do this, um, are here to talk about doing this stuff right. Um, simple as that. This one goes out to folks, particularly if you're, if you're looking to get into the business of doing immersive and you want to kind of do things that are like... Um, you know, technically challenging or might feel like they have an element of danger, but because you're sane, you don't want to put anyone in actual danger. This one goes out to you. Um, this is, this is about the state of mind you should have as you approach this type of work. Um, because we just have to kind of lay it out there. We got another episode planned in the future. That's about more the psychological side of this stuff. This is about physical safety. Before we get into that, as you know, there's always more on the show. Uh, first up, we got to give a shout out to the people who make the show possible. That's our Patreon backers. What, you thought we weren't going to do that this time? Of course we are. Patreon.com slash NoPersinium is the only source of financial support that the entire NoPersinium fleet has. You know, we can't just knock over other ships and steal their gold because other ships in this crazy immersive fleet don't have any gold. No one's got any money, um, but you do. You've, you've got you got twelve dollars a year to keep the show going because all we ask for people is uh, a dollar a month. More is always nice, uh, but a dollar a month helps this thing run. The latest person to sign on to this crazy escapade of ours is Michael Bates. Uh, you might know him from his work with the Speakeasy Society here in Los Angeles. Thank you very much, Michael, for uh, becoming the latest backer on Patreon. The only new backer we've had this week. So, um, you know, uh, start digging around. Find some pocket change. Uh, you put it on the internet and you send it our way. As always, Ross Sigworth is our supporting, sustaining backer here on the show. Um, there's a lot more coming up uh, in in a bit. I just said that a second ago. I'm just excited. Um, I'm always excited. Um, the, the, the lot more... Actually, um, pending, pending, just checking, just got one thing to check on. Um, keep your eye on both no proscenium and on everything immersive, um, this weekend, uh, or maybe like dig back through and see if it's already up, depending on when you listen to this, um, check for a video and, um, I don't want, I don't want to jinx myself, but if you have a Google cardboard, have it handy. 
leaving it at that. Just leaving it at that. Just 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 dig out that Google Cardboard, or if you got a Daydream headset, or if you can watch YouTube and, and some other HMD. Yeah, just you know, we got something for you. We we might we we might have something for you. Just saying. What we have for you in a moment here is our interview with Charlie Melcher, who is the founder and director of the Future of Storytelling Festival. We talked to Charlie using the magic of the internet. He was in his office in New York. We were at our dining room table in Los Angeles. And and dining room sounds like I'm I'm fancy. Um, No, it's just, you know, contiguous with the living room. Let's just be honest here. There's, there's, it's, it's the same room, you know. I mean, there's little columns here, but like, I didn't put those in. This building is from like 1923. We've got rodents. Um, great. No, no one wants to come over now. They're cute. <laughs> Actually, they are. They are really cute rodents. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. They're not inside. They're outside. Um, what? I like mammals. Um, <laughs> what? I like mammals. This is not the internet, except it is. Uh, Charlie Melcher is... Uh, He's, he's a delight to speak with. You're about to experience our first conversation. Um, we went longer than I was expecting us to. Uh, we probably could have gone on for another three hours. Uh, one day there will be an episode that's just Charlie and me. It might be a two-hour-long episode. Um, the Future of Storytelling Festival, of course, FOST Fest, uh, and also the, the FOST Summit. The summit's been going on for a few years. Uh, the festival, well, the first time was last year. Uh, this year we've been giving out some tickets, uh, to check out the festival. Um, I might have another batch of those in the works. I'm not going to do now, but like maybe keep attention on the, the social media. But, uh, right now, uh, let's dive in here to our interview with Charlie. <laughs> Hey, Charlie, thanks for uh, putting up with all the internet shenanigans we've had today to talk with me. Um, could you tell folks about uh, Future of Storytelling and specifically about FOSTFest because uh, that's coming up uh, next month? Sure. So the Future of Storytelling is our effort to bring the tribe together, the people who are exploring the cutting edge of storytelling and technology and helping to invent the new forms, the the next generation of communications and and basically storytelling. And so we've been running the summit now for, this will be our sixth year. And as the summit is a a by invitation and limited uh, to only 500 people event, we realized that we wanted to share the, the technologies and the curation that we put together for FOST with a much larger audience. And so last year, we launched the Future of Storytelling Festival. And at at its heart, the FOST Festival is an effort to explore the changing nature of the audience and to create the world's first immersive storytelling festival. So why do you, here's the thing, you you have been doing FOST for a while now, Uh, like at least, I think at least as long as like, I've been sniffing around this this world, uh, maybe maybe even longer. And what led you in the first place to like 
head off on this branch. I mean, right from the start, you guys were talking with Punch Drunk. You were looking at experiential marketing, uh, all this sort of things, and and pointing to it and saying, "This, this is the future of storytelling." So, what what motivates motivated you to go down that path in the first place? Well, so my background is in uh, making books and publishing, which is perhaps the oldest of the storytelling media. And I went through a transition myself. Uh, the publishing industry was in such turmoil back in 2008, 2009, that I was forced to sort of rethink what I wanted to do with my business. And we made our first app. It was an app called Our Choice that we did with uh, former Vice President Al Gore. And that app ended up winning Apple's award for the best designed app of the year and being a, a top grossing app in the app store. Um, Steve Jobs fell in love with it and we got, a, we got a lot of attention for it. And so it was this moment of realization that there were entirely new ways that you could communicate and create powerful experiences for people. And so we got really excited by those opportunities and decided it was time to, um, one, ourselves explore and, and become your know, creators in this new space, but also to try to find the other people who were doing amazing work and bring them together so that they could cross-pollinate and share and, and hopefully collaborate. And that was really the, the inspiration behind starting Future of Storytelling. Yeah, that, that impetus to find the others, like that's how any movement starts. Because you start as sort of like the weird kids who aren't sure if like, does anyone else see this? And then you find one other person who does and like, oh, okay, we're not crazy. And then it's like, oh, we got to find the others. So, and it's, it's been, I've been like so jealous year over year going like, oh my God, who, what now? Oh my God. Like every time. And then when you went and did the festival last year, I was very excited that you were opening up to the public. So what, um, what's the hope there? in terms of, of, of sort of opening the eyes to the folks who, you know, maybe don't know that this stuff is going on? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's such an interesting um, evolution going on right now with uh, what we would call consumers or audience, or what we used to call those things, um, where people, uh, they, they used to be comfortable just passively consuming their content and then the internet came and all of a sudden people could share and like and comment. And it opened up this Pandora's box now of people wanting to have a role to play, to have some co-authorship, to, to be heroes in their own adventures. And so we, we want to explore all of the ways that that's possible. We understand that this is kind of a new ground between analog and digital, between the humanities and the sciences. And, and I think it's, it's this interesting dance between the, the evolution of the technologies, between the, the creators figuring out how to create new things and, and tell stories in unique ways on these new technologies, but then also for the audience to, to evolve their, their habits and their desires and, and what they're looking to, to experience. And so there's this interesting dance happening now between you know, all three of those camps and uh, the festival is our opportunity to open it up to to all of all of those audiences, all of those groups, and have them come together. And so I see it as a place where we can bring the creators together, where we can bring the technologists together, and where the where the the general public, the the audience, can come and and learn and be exposed and get excited and 
and sort of discover these new kinds of stories. We, we need to build all of those fields together to make this new kind of uh, ecosystem that will be successful. What's getting you most excited in this space right now? To me, it's the opportunity to be re-embodied. Mm, right? I spent yeah. so many years huddled over my keyboard or staring into my phone and my my eyes blurring and my, my back, you know, bending and, and alone at that keyboard or, or in front of that television. And I feel like technology for most of my life was something that just alienated me from myself and from others. And what's exciting now is I feel like we're getting uh, this new group of technologies like AR and haptics and sensors and, and even AI, all of these things and the, 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 built environments with sensors in them. And all of these things are enabling us to now become reconnected to our physical being. Um, and so I, I'm just so excited by that. I feel, uh, one, it's, it's so much more powerful when you're in a story versus watching a story, when you can smell it and touch it and, and your body moves while you're in it. Like that is, that's a whole nother level of, of engagement, of, of learning, of emotional impact. And, and that's the stuff that we're just beginning. I mean, I can't believe that uh, Connect exists. <laughs> like, I still think that's a technology that's mind-blowing and, and not getting the love it deserves right now. But but it'll come I back. know, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a total shame. Like, it was just like, uh, sometimes I feel like it's, I don't want to say pearls before swine, but I want to say pearls before swine. Because the first time I saw a connection, I was like, this is amazing. And everyone's like, whatever, whatever. I can't, just, it doesn't help me do a shooter. And I'm like, oh, lack of imaginations. Because, oh, the, the fun, I, I, you know, I own it. And I still, I don't play with it ever. I should play with it. I, I, and I've disconnected my connect, which is sad. But I've got the Disney Fantasia that Harmonix did. And that was just, oh, it's so much fun just conducting the orchestra. Like it's just, it's just unlike anything else. So, so, and there's so many things like this coming, right? Whether it's, whether it's haptic gloves or, uh, or, or rooms that have sensors built into them. I mean, connect will disappear into our, into our built environments and into our cars and, you know, all those kinds of things. And, or, or the leap, you know, it's, it's basically just a sensor that lets us use natural gesture to interact with the digital space. And so, there's a whole explosion coming of, of the reinvention of the human computer interface. And what I think is going to happen is it used to be us having to conform to the computer. And now the computer is going to start to disappear and, and leave us to rediscover you know, our natural, what is, what is human in our own gestures, in our own voice, in our own expressions, like all those amazing things. I, I remember when I, when I started to get into this area, I, I, I read this book by Nicholas Carr called The Shallows. And uh, he had this whole thesis that as we, we surf the internet, we're losing the ability to read deeply without deep mm. reading, we're losing the ability to, to have deep thought. Um, but, but in there, he mentions this whole thing about Socrates being anti-reading and writing. And I looked it up, and Socrates has this thing in, in the Phaedrus where he says that when you write it down, it becomes dead language. And it's stuck with me forever that, that so much of our communications and our entertainment and our, and our education was based on dead language. And mm. what we're doing now is technology is bringing us back to this place where we can have living language, where we can have language that's, that's 
brought back to life and embodied by the human spirit and, and our own experiences. So like he meant, well, it's stripped of things like voice and, and facial expressions and hand gestures and all those things that normally when two people speak, so much of what's communicated is communicated through all of those signals. And oh, yeah. Course, think about when you write an email. Like, oh, <laughs> massively. Just, just the first years of the Internet and like people like, you know, you know, still, I remember sincere discussions in the 90s about do we need a font for sarcasm? Like, you know, like how do we how do how do we imply to people that like we're not being serious and just just trying to cram and. Oh God. Okay. This, this is the short interview in the show, but like you just opened up like the biggest Pandora's box. Oh my God. Charlie, we're going to have to like get into person sometime and like spend three hours talking about dead versus living language and how our screens are like this limiting factor in our communications and how it's driven our culture insane. We like, we need to. Can't wait. Can't wait. And, and here's another thing. Like, it's getting out of the two dimensions into the three dimension. Mm -hmm. All of our screens, all of our boxes, even our books, you know, it's all the, the flat land of the printed page or the flat screen. And, and what, what's so exciting now is we're beginning to explode into three dimensions in real time or four dimensions. So all, all of these different things are enabling that. And, and what's happening is that creators are starting to realize that they can tell stories in entirely new ways that, that physically engage their audiences in, in, again, completely new ways. And we're, we're just beginning to figure out what is the language of all of that? What is the, what's the syntax? What are the rules? Um, and so the things that are going to happen over the next few years, uh, I mean, just look at, at Apple AR kit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to happen over the next <laughs> six months even with, with people being able to add a layer of the virtual into our regular lives? Oh yeah, the 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 shift the shift is underway in in ways both subtle and extreme, and that's the thing that gets me so excited. I think some folks, some folks who just are really into going to the live events, like they they may not understand why I get excited about AR and VR, and and just all the possibilities there. But there's this one language that is happening amongst all of these forms. And and folks are beginning to see it. And that's been the thing that's been most fun for me this year is watching more people sort of wake up to to the wave that's cresting. Um, Charlie, let's let's I'm going to I'm going to hold us here because we could go on for a while. I can tell now. Um, But tell the folks um, how they can get themselves out to to Fostfest and uh, and and what they should expect. Excellent. So Fost Fest is October 6th through 8th. It's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We, uh, you buy a day pass or you can buy a pass for the whole weekend. Uh, it comes with free transportation. So Fost Fest is happening at this magical campus called Snug Harbor. It's this beautiful 83-acre campus. It looks like an old New England college campus, and it's located on Staten Island. And so you take the Staten Island Ferry, and then we have a shuttle bus to pick you up and take you to and from campus. When you're there, you should expect to discover uh, well over 100 of the most cutting-edge new technologies and stories that are told on those technologies. So VR and AR and haptics and AI and sensors and interactive video and gaming 
as well as a whole series of surprise analog or, or real um, performances. Um, so all sorts of pop-up theatrical and musical and one-on-one -on -one experiences. Um, there'll also be uh, each day a full slate of panels and uh, a main stage performance in the evening, uh, great food and um, just amazing people. So, so uh, again, it's, it's a one-day pass. It's $40. You come for the entire day. Everything there is included. And uh, I think you should be prepared to have your mind blown. Um, I should also mention of the hundred and some odd exhibits that we have, uh, almost 40% of those are uh, premieres, U.S. or world premieres. So you will, no one will have seen this work before. Um, and then also we decided we wanted to show some of our favorite work. So we also have kind of Foss classics, um, some of the best pieces that we've seen over the last five years. Uh, so anyway, I think you'll come be blown away and be entirely engaged for, uh, for the full day. I am so jealous of everyone who gets to be in New York that weekend. And if you're within the sound of my voice and you are within, with any kind of distance, go, go to the Fosfest. Just, just go. Charlie, thank you so much. We will do this again. I am sure. <laughs> thank you. No, I look forward to it. Once again, I want to thank Charlie Melcher for being our guest in the first segment of the show. FostFest is happening in New York City, October 6th through the 8th. We have a discount code for you, NP20. That gets you 20% off tickets if you want to jump in. Also, uh, if you want to sort of, you know, feel the force and check our social media, we might, we might have like a little flash ticket here or there to give away in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm not promising anything, but you know, I got at least, I got at least three, I got at least three. I'm going to give out that way. Um, we'll see about that. But the code, if you just want to be like, ah, contests, I never win them. Bah humbug. NP 20 gets you 20% off the ticket price take advantage of that while you can, which is, I think, pretty much like up till Faust starts. So, um, okay, there we go with all of that. Uh, I'm super jealous. I wish I was going to Faust this year. I really, really, really do. Okay, now, um, some of you probably know the backstory on this, uh, why we're doing a safety episode now as opposed to some other time. Uh, you can like dig through, there was like a rant, like an episode or two ago, time is blurring. Uh, there's some articles on no proscenium. There's some discussions at everything immersive, but the long and the short of it, the TLDR is, um, someone who will remain nameless just because I don't like saying their name anymore. Um, designed a, <laughs> does that sound like I'm angry about all this stuff? Oh, I am. Um, designed a really dumb gag for a show just laying out like that uh and then said gag broke on top of it and uh could have led to a big disaster uh led to some minor injuries uh and then they uh they kind of tried to just you know wave off responsibility for it um none of which uh none of which really sits well with any of us out here in the world of responsible adults uh, particularly because we're at a time, uh, particularly in Los Angeles, where um, because of stuff that had nothing to do with our community um, uh, that happened a year ago, uh, the the um, bureaucratic regime is um, is really 
you know, nervous about uh, large scale events whose scope and purpose they don't fully understand, which, you know, on a certain level, you can't blame them. Um, essentially they're, they're trying to avoid the kind of disaster that happened in Oakland last year. And until such time as our community and the bureaucratic community fully understand each other, there's going to be some tension. We're working on that. Um, there's people who have the absolute best of intentions on both sides. Everyone, everyone, everyone who is working on this stuff on any level that is worth talking about wants people to have an enjoyable, exciting, safe time. It doesn't matter if you're a creator or you're a bureaucrat. Everyone wants people to be able to do what it is they want to do and do it safely. So how do we do the stuff we want to do and do it safely? That is the question before us. And I assembled this panel out of folks from two of the biggest shows that happen in Los Angeles, that being Delusion and Creep. Creep tickets went on sale like today uh, as I'm recording this part. Delusion is coming back next year. Delusion has managed to do things over and over again that sort of defy expectations and practically reality. And they do it, uh, you know, working through all the issues to make sure that they can do it you know, hundreds, thousands of times. Um, we're going to get into those stories in a second. Just, uh, just you know, we, we care. It feels trite and strange to say. Uh, and I know I should just get into the panel. But... Um, what follows what follows is, is a good conversation, but what follows isn't some sort of like, well, you're Mark scolding you. No, no, man. Like it's, it's not, it's not about that. Cause there is no scolding do or do not there. There is no scolding. There is no try on this. Um, we have to do this stuff in a manner that works and safety is part of the definition of works. So, um, yeah, downer note to start this off, but, uh, it's been in response to just, you know, folks trying to run before they can walk. Don't learn some lessons, take some notes. Here we go. All right, we've gathered around the microphone. To my left is... David Ruzicka. And then there's... Kevin Williams. Ian Momi. And we did that so you guys can uh, differentiate voices as we go on here. Um, like I said at the top of the show, we're talking about safety is one of the core things. And the reason why these guys are here, which I also probably said at the top of the show, is that uh, these are professionals. These are professional designers and consultants. And... The community uh, in Southern California, and thus because of the spotlight we put on ourselves, uh, the community as a whole right now is very conscious of safety concerns, of how to build a show, uh, particularly a show that maybe evokes a feeling of dread and danger. It is spooky season after all. Uh, that still manages to be safe for both 
the audience and performers because there will be no fun if someone gets hurt because then none of us can do this anymore. And it won't matter if it's you call your thing a immersive theater happy experience or an extreme haunt, they'll just be hunted down to the ends of the earth by inspectors and bounty hunters. So, guys, um, this is pretty pretty open here, but um, maybe we can just uh, start off with what are the fundamentals? What is what should someone, particularly someone who's never built a show before, what should they be thinking about when they approach their design and their build from a safety standpoint? What's the first thing you hope comes into someone's mind? For me, it would be <laughs> essentially finding somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, somebody with experience. Because <laughs> that helps. Like, yeah. <laughs> my, my whole analogy for you know people who jump into these things without the experience is that just because Cousin Eddie helped Uncle Tony build a fence does not make Cousin Eddie a carpenter. You know, does not make him familiar with standards and practices of construction for uh, for commercial mass gatherings. You know, and that's where I think you run into some of these fundamental problems because when you have such a low overhead to get these things started up, you need you're trying to get as much as you can for what little you have. Right. And in order to do so, you bring in everybody that you know, and just because you have the bodies doesn't mean you have the know-how. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a very dangerous approach. And you need to either figure out how to raise the capital to get what you need at the beginning, or you need to really stop and educate yourself before you move forward. You know, and I, I get it. It's it's such a massively burgeoning industry right now. These things are popping up all over the place in varying sizes and, and scales. And so it's easy to get too hungry and move too quick on these because you want to strike while the iron's hot. But it's so much better to take your time as opposed to getting yourself locked into you know litigation for the next five to ten years yeah because you injured somebody you killed somebody who knows i mean you you just there's too many different uh spectrums to look at to not know what you're getting into that's definitely true even just in the traditional you know haunted attraction walkthrough world even not even not even drawing in interactivity and all the other things we deal with it's hard enough to deal with the intangibles of what a guest will do in your live environment. And I think that's something for me that you have to start thinking about from the very beginning and anticipating as much as you can because there are all of the things we think about when it comes to how a performer is going to interact with a with an audience member. But did you think about that piece of glass that's over in the back of the room or that table that the audience member is going to decide it would be fun to you know jump on or push around? and there's enough of that, even without thinking about alcohol being a part of the, the equation, too. <laughs> uh, when you put all that mixed together and then add the interactivity, it can be really, you know, a dicey proposition if you're not thinking about it the whole way through from the beginning. Right. It always feels like every, I, I've got the eyes now, so I walk into, like, an escape room or, you know, if I, if I have the... Uh, the pleasure of walking through one of these things with the lights on, I start thinking as if I'm toddler-proofing a home. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, which doors are sealed? Where are the exits? And, you know, it's 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 a part of your brain that isn't necessarily fun to access. And I can understand someone being like, oh, I want to put on a show. I want to, like, amaze people. I want to, like, you know, touch their souls and twist them. And then you don't want to be like, oh, okay, well, like... Um, 
you know, how do I make sure this doesn't fall on someone's head? Yeah. Because I want them, I want them terrified, but I don't want them bleeding and injured, and then have to talk to a lawyer. And and more frightening is the idea that someone thinks <laughs> that they can put a piece of paper out that says, uh, "You hereby give up your right to your life by entering this building and sign it away." Because as anyone who knows anything about these things will tell you, those little waivers aren't gonna do jack shit for you. Like they do not indemnify you against things that you can actually, you know, there's just certain rights people cannot sign away, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> They're a great storytelling tool. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and not to mention, I, I am firmly convinced that the ones that we see now are just derived from previous ones that existed. I find it very difficult to believe that every unique event sits down and writes their own Oh no! You know no, waiver, yeah. and so it's just like a form letter that you could go buy at you know Staples or something like that in a book. Yeah, you know? I, I think there's I, I know there's a few groups out there, particularly like folks who have lawyers or who've lawyered up or have thought about through. Like they have ones that are you know structured, but they and it's usually like it's usually looking at like all right you know accidental. You know, like someone, someone trips over a loose piece of carpet and, you know, like bashes their face and it's like... Not gross negligence. Exactly. So. Like a, a judge will say like, eh, you said, you, you took upon reasonable, you know, you, you signed away the right to sue on that. But it's like, well, I stuck my arm in this rusty bear trap and then it clamped down on me because an actor dressed as a zombie was giggling. It's like... <laughs> That one you're going to get sued on. Yeah. Um, and I think that some people think that they're not. That it's like, well, they signed the paper. And this, this is the thing I worry about the most, is that people look, look, you know, someone, I'll, I'll hear a story about a show, like in a show I don't go to, and I'll hear about some gag and I'll be like, okay, they may have done it safely, but I worry about someone who's never done a show before who walks into that show, sees that gag, and goes, oh yeah, you know it would be even more rad if we just added a little more force to it. Not knowing that there's someone who designed it, that there's a safety person you know, maybe standing nearby because like the participant has their eyes blindfolded, and, and that every moment's been calculated. You think of a show like, say, Blackout, which has pretty much like invented the extreme horror genre for 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 the sake of argument, right? Mm. They've they've had their legal issues. They've had all sorts of stuff happen with them, and they think defensively now. But they're always thinking about how can they do this in a structured manner? How can they do this in a way that seems unsafe but is actually very safe and controlled? I know, David, you've, you've, you're a fan of the extreme stuff. Um, what, what tends to be the vibe you encounter in those shows and uh, amongst those creators? Yeah, I mean, the most successful shows take all of their safe word procedures and all that, and we can definitely talk about the different gradients of safe words because that's something that comes into play a lot. But uh, the thing I like to see from the shows that I've, and I've only been going to them for the past year or so, but the very first one I ever did, I had used an, an ease up word and immediately there was reaction. There was other crew who came from uh, the background shadows that were part of it. And um, I feel like the creators who are doing it right have built in time in their creative process and production process to test this stuff really thoroughly, to bring in their friends, their family, people that, that they can convince to try this stuff before they bring honest to goodness guests in. And, you know, I think the things that are most effective in those shows feel like they are 
for me, it's kind of like you mentioned, Noah, you're a little aware at all times of the behind the scenes, but not enough that it's distracting. But it's nice to just check in with yourself occasionally and be like, yeah, I can tell that if this one moment went sour, there's all these people around who are ready to, to handle it. And unfortunately, I feel like that's probably not the, the majority thought process which goes into these shows you know you mentioned blackout is one that you know has obviously spent so much time making sure those pieces are all in place and you can sort of feel it in everything about their their current mode of operations but there are a lot of shows that are coming into it scrappy and new like you're mentioning and this is a field that is not the one you want to come in scrappy and new for what should participants because i think you know and I, and I do want to keep talking to creators cause, or, and potential creators. But I feel like participants, audience members, you know, they're, they're eager for new. They, they've got a lot of FOMO. They, they'd love to be the first. They definitely don't want to be left out of the conversation. And there's a thrill to being the first to jump into a new show. Um, what should they be carrying around in their heads? What, what's like the minimal... Thing they should expect from creators so they can judge for themselves whether or not their safety is being respected, right? I, I don't even know if that perspective is in control of the audience, unfortunately, mm. yeah. because you can advertise that you've done X, Y, and Z to make sure that everything is on the up and up. But, you know, again, that goes into inexperience and a desire to be successful and get your creation out there as opposed to thinking about the boring business end of things, right. which is an unfortunate reality about this. And for those of us that work professionally, we know it's not just about being effective creators. It's also about, you know, driving and working with an effective business model that protects not only you, but your audience and your staff. Well, I guess here's, here's something I want to put to you guys is, all right, we know that things go wrong. Anyone who's worked any kind of theater knows that inevitably something goes wrong. Usually, most of the time it's something minor. You know, the prop didn't come out on time or like the, the, the cue didn't go off. Sometimes it's, it's serious. What is the protocol? What should happen? And because I think this is something that occurred recently is that something clearly went wrong and the show didn't seem to react to the fact that something went on. They just kept the show going, right? It's like, well, the adage is that the show must go on. So when something goes catastrophically wrong, does the show must go on continue? Is that what should happen? No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's definitely a measured response to what went wrong, uh, by all means. But um, we, we're never afraid to say, you know, stop the show. And it's not stop the show, end the show. Sometimes it's just pause the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we pause the show. Hold, please. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, address the situation depending on what it is. Um, you know, we dust ourselves off, keep going. Or um, and so far, luckily, that's always been the case. Yeah. Is, you know, we might have had a pause, stop for 10, 20, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but we've always been able to carry the show back on. Right. Um, sometimes uh, a particular individual might be removed from the show, maybe they, they got injured or they're too scared or something. We had one person who just, um, they just had a health condition that took over. So they got removed from the show. Um, the rest of the, we asked them, like, is everybody good? Is everybody, you know, the rest of the ice is ready to go? They all agreed, yes. 
the actors picked right back where we were, continued on the show without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the success of, of having that sort of a resolution to an incident is having a preemptive plan of action mm-hmm. in place. Yes. 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 And you need to make sure that you are fully aware of what you're doing, um, as well as making sure that you're, you're cast. Because ultimately, uh, you know, the, the people who are in control in these moments are the cast. And if the cast doesn't know what the plan of action is for earthquake, for fire, for injury, for whatever it may be, then you've lost control. You have no control. You never started with control. So it all starts with training I was, and a plan. I was going to add, like, one thing, I, it's an old-fashioned, certainly theater thing, but has always worked as, like, a hell night before your actual procedures start up. And I wonder how many shows in our field are really putting themselves through that thing of let's have a night where we kind of fake all the things that can possibly go wrong so that our cast knows the contingencies. You know, it's really, really important. I think the other thing... Well, I want to come play Hell Night at Delusion. There you go. I want to be the heart attack victim. You get to be all the bad audience archetypes. Oh, my God. That'd be fun. I do that all the time. It's so much fun to be a bad audience archetype for your actors just to keep them fresh, you know? We, 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 we'll wander off the wrong direction, see how they corral us back in, try to talk over them. And yeah, and the yeah. actors, it, it is good training for them. And something that you said reminded me of something. I have this adage of, I approach them with a mindset of, I don't care about the a thousand times everything goes right. I'm always looking for the one time it's going to go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I keep my eyes open for. See, this is something I'm glad, this is exactly where I wanted us to go today. Because I feel like, I feel like there's enough people on the creative side who are jumping in and there's enough people who are from the audience side who maybe aren't like you know who have no theater you know production experience and the weird thing about this particular form not just the haunt side but any of the immersive theater side is that because the audiences are participants they essentially have the role of of at bare minimum extras on a movie set Mm -hmm. and extras on a movie set know a certain amount of how to comport themselves but but not entirely they're not in on the vision beyond you know just stand here and 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 you know pretend like you're talking but don't say anything so the microphones don't pick you up you know like whatever the heck it is sit in your car read a book um and and so folks are coming in and they don't you know, and there's this desire to like, oh, let's make this really, really real and like, let's never break the immersion. And that's not necessarily, the audience may not care that you never break the immersion. Like, uh, Disneyland, a ride shuts down all the time and you wait and you're going like, oh, when's this going to start up again? And then it starts up. And it's not the ideal experience, but that never stops someone coming from coming back. Ever. Yeah. Generally it's, speaking, the audience is far more forgiving than I think any creator is willing to accept. Yeah. Yes. You know? and, yeah, and it's, it's you know, you're absolutely right. Most of the shows in any of the immersive field right now have a certain uh, mysterious persona that they have developed where they're in the shadows. Even the big, big guys, you know, to the extent of, a, of what Punch Drunk has done sometimes, have those moments where the creators are known but not quite and I think they're afraid that if they expose themselves too much in those moments that the mystery is gone forever and the reality is I think the most effective you can be is depends on how well you're able to emerge and then recede from the shadows at the moment that it's called for I love that I really, really love that because there is this tendency to like play into like, oh, no one can know who we are, and and you know some of the shows like because they're doing meta narrative stuff, you know, like they kind of just don't want the players focusing on the creators. They want them like please focus on the the story we're telling. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's definitely harder to hold people accountable for stuff if they're just kind of masking. And so you know we we 
over at NoPro and at Everything Immersive, you know, we're taking we're taking the stance at the very least, you know, if if, we're, if a new show pops up and it's like we're mysterious, we don't want anyone to know, we're gonna knock on the door. And it's like, hi, who are you? We are not gonna we won't tell everybody, but we need to know who you are so we can like do some due diligence. And if those folks are like all, well, we don't want to tell you because then you're gonna have the secrets of our show, I'll just be like, buddy, you know, I don't reveal what any creator tells me about their plot lines, the only person who then has the show ruined for them is me, because then I don't have a surprise coming my way. And that's the burden of publishing this sort of stuff, is that you know what's coming and you don't get to experience it with fresh eyes. It's like reading a movie script before the film comes out. You just can never enjoy the film in quite the same way. And if you think that sounds like a lot of fun, then come onto this side and tell me that it's a lot of fun and you'll be wrong and you'll find out soon enough. Um, what what should you know I mean I don't know there's there's so many ways to, to go here but like what what are the things that you guys have seen that have kind of red red flags for you out there in the wild um, that's that's a good one to start with mm-hmm. are there have been things that you've seen that have gone down or heard about that just made you go like what the heck is going on we can talk specific or we can talk the things filed Yeah, off. I don't know if it's fair to call people out, but I mean, just generally... File the serial numbers off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from my discipline, you know, coming from a background of, of design and fabrication specifically, which is where I got my foundation before I moved into design, was in uh, commercial fabrication for a certain large theme park uh, here in Southern California. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's where I started understanding the, the standards and practices for safe construction for these sort of... Uh, you know, where you're going to have a lot of people traveling throughout and over these areas that you're, you're working with. So in my experience, when I've gone out and seen things, it's, it's like, again, it's, you know, you have certain disciplines. And, and one of the other things that I have done is, is uh, props and set decoration for theater and film. So I can't watch a movie now with my wife and not see things. You know, mm-hmm. it's certain things stand out to me. And so going into these, you know, temporary builds, it's the construction that I see and any exposed structures that I, I come across I'm going to analyze and I'm going to see these problems and you know there have even been times where I've been called in because and this is the right way to do it is it like call in people even if you can't get the people to do all of the work call in somebody who knows how to do the work and check yeah. the work that's been done yeah. right and so for me it's it's going in and I've seen you know a fair amount and even professionally you know I see things that I go well I wouldn't have done it that way you know, but it's, I don't know, I think that, that all of us uh, in this industry, with whatever our disciplines are, we need to remain vigilant about yeah. that kind of stuff and, and take note of it. And if we can, if the new creator is receptive to it, offer up advice. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the thing I worry, like, when I see creators not being receptive to notes and advice, like, that's a giant red flag for me. And it's not, it's not some ego thing. It's like, oh, so-and-so won't take my creative input. Blah. It's like, it's no. never that. It's like, oh, you're not, you're not hearing what's being seen because no, no creator, no director can see all angles at all times. And in proscenium theater, they can barely see all the layers at the same time, which is why you have a design team in the first place, right? You know, because they're watching the performance or they're watching the lights. And then like someone goes is like, oh, hey, you know what? Like John's not hitting his mark. Uh, maybe we need to refocus that light. Or there's there's a, a problem with that lift cue, and we need to like 
you know, loaded a little sooner. It's like that's why he was late to the thing. I said, okay, yeah, well, uh, let's let's get him out faster or whatnot. Things of that nature. Um, and and they're not going to get it all. And the myth of the autor who can like see everything is bad enough in a proscenium box. Now you take the proscenium away and you make it a sandbox. And have people going around. And you have people devising work where the director never was there when the work was originally devised. And you've just increased the problem not double but like tenfold. And to to know there's there's some people who might think like oh I got this without having their team in place. Freaks me the yeah, it's, it's right scary. Out. It's absolutely scary. And there's a level of it too with, you know, I tend to look at this in the perspective of anytime that you start handling guests with performers, there are people who know and, you know, who can be brought in who are experts in how to physically, they're, whether they're from ex-military, ex-medical, you know, uh, professional wrestlers even have a much better understanding of that because I think a lot of shows believe that as soon as you sign that waiver, you can shove people all over the place with whoever and you can bring in a performer who has done some of the more traditional haunts before and say, okay, now just grab this person by the throat, everything will be fine. There's a lot of specific yeah. ways to l learn how to do those things. And I've, I was always impressed by the shows I've heard who sort of reserve those, the moments of the real like suffocation or water and all these things that are parts of shows that actually can be done correctly, but they sort of reserve those roles for the people they really, really super trust and have been working with them for multiple years who have a professional background in some of these fields. So yeah. if I don't see those things or I'm not aware, and you can feel it as a guest when you yeah. encounter people that don't have that training. Yeah. There was someone, just last night I was talking about a show with someone and they said, you know, you can always, sometimes you can tell, you can feel like there's some people who like are in these things not because they're like you know, scare actors and they're seasoned uh, and, and, and they, they like being part of this process, but like they're getting off on it. And they're, and I was like, oh, so you mean that they're a sadist? And I was like, yeah, you can tell. Like they're, they're cursing at us and they're saying these things and like they're not playing. Like they, they, they're just happy to find an outlet for their ability to abuse people. And that's like a giant, like, whoa, watch out, you know, who you're casting with that. And that's a more extreme, that's way more extreme than what you were just talking sure. about. But it's some, it's part of the, 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 the spectrum. It of has things to be that. considered. And, yeah, it has and, to be. And the reality is that, as I think we've talked about, there people are going to be predisposed in the general public who don't really understand this stuff to hear those stories about the sadists and assume, okay, that's everything. You right. know, they hear about the, yeah, the, yeah. the McKamey Manor world and all of those sorts of things, and, and that's what they assume when it comes to the, the more extreme set. So yeah. it's, it's tricky because we, we've talked about people love to get excited by the story of when things went wrong. Not, nobody writes articles about how everything went great. So. Yeah, right. it's hard. Well, and that's the thing is that like, these stories will travel farther and faster when some, the, the stories of something going wrong, then then the stories of like we had a thousand runs and everything was, went off without a hitch, and just the idea that anyone could be reckless in their design and not be thinking about trying to prevent that one time, right? Like I couldn't fathom going into work where there was not even like an extreme hump, but just anything where I'm like really moving people through the space where I'm using any level of physical force to guide people through a location and not be thinking that way. Or or anything that involves traversal, right? Like mm -hmm. I've gotten, you know, I've gotten terrified at Sleep No More when I'm on the stairwell and I'm part of like a, a giant 
you know, group of people going up or down from flight to flight because you'll get like 40 people running right. up a stairwell mm -hmm. trying to follow and like they're not in step and there's different people with different strides and some people are slow and all it takes is someone stopping short and everyone else not and boom, hit one yeah. way, fall down the other. And it's, I'm sort of shocked we don't hear that it happens more often. But I also have heard that like there have been times when like shit's gone on those stairwells. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. do those long hallways. I've seen people take full sprints down those things. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you're like, wow, you are just in a hurry. Yeah, full sprints not knowing what's coming. So not the performers who know yeah, what the yeah. timing is right. and what the odds are, but like audience members who could be full sprinting right into another right. group of audience members. Right. They're coming around the corner. Yeah, wham. And it's dark in there. Yeah, that, that is a- that is And they're wearing masks. An unknown <laughs> component for every single performance. Yeah. So, you, know, you do 10, 15, 20 shows a night. You've got, you know, however many hundred people that you have to preemptively think for them. Yeah. So that way you don't allow them to get into those circumstances. Yeah. Because then all that does is you put that extra time in to think about it, it lowers your liability. It's a little bit of extra homework, but it's so important to do it. Yeah. It's so important. Particular, and what, one of the things we're in this feedback loop here where a lot of the shows are doing short runs, so they have a truncated amount of time to get it up, they got to make their thing, they can only run for so long, you know, they, but they manage to sell out their tickets, and then instantly, you know, the audience is like, when's their next? thing so they're racing to put up the next thing and the cycle keeps on repeating itself you get these shows like sleep no more or then she fell that are aiming at a longer run uh, you get delusion which is aiming to put like you know like you know what two thousand people through in a season or something like that more than that somewhere around there that's more than okay. that yeah no we do yeah it's almost like ten thousand yeah we okay. do but just under ten thousand just ten thousand people this yeah. boggles my mind um so there's these, these massive amounts of people yeah you're gonna you're gonna tune that machine up a lot more because you need it to keep running without having to be like, you know, reset every, you know, couple of days because, oh, we didn't think of this problem. Mm -hmm. And, and I worried that the, that the folks coming up, they're like, well, I don't have time. I've got to get my show out the door, you know, because the demand's there. And there's, there's almost no incentive right now for them to tune up because they can sell out a 200 seat run of a show in an hour. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. you know. It's, it's attractive, but it's, it's a dangerous precedent to set for themselves. I'll use True Detective season two as an example. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Hey, has anybody heard of that show again? No. no. You know, take your time. And it's like, even with us at Delusion, it, it, the very first year we took hiatus, we did with a great amount of trepidation, you know, because oh, we yeah. weren't sure where, we're, where we were going to be the next year in terms of our status in the industry. Yeah. And again, we're not doing a show again this year. And it's not because we don't want to, but it's, we have bigger plans and we want to make sure we do it right. Yeah, you know, I, I think the case studies are out there for for the shows that have taken a little bit of a hiatus that have come back and found the audience still there, ready to wait for them. I mean, we've seen the, the examples of the shows like Blackout or Alone, and those ones that have gone around away for a little bit of time. And uh, the audience, uh, as you mentioned, is pretty forgiving and excited and ready to go. And I think that yes, setting that that uh, momentum at that frenzied pace can be kind of a dangerous thing because you're not giving yourself 
and forcing yourself to really have the safe checks you need. Right. Yeah. And then just on a, on a business you know level, if you take a little more time and you find a space that can like let more people in, you know, give yourself a longer run, you know, you're potentially going to expose yourself to a bigger audience, which is going to lead you to bigger and better things. There is this hardcore audience in Los Angeles right now, and they're a miracle in that everyone can get their shows sold out. But it also starts to become hermetically sealed, and it's like, okay, it's the, you know, it's the same. You know, you can guarantee on any given night or any show, it's like you're going to recognize how the people there right now and it's it's not a small number of people but but it's still like wow it's it, there's a crowd there's a clear crowd yeah Thursday night <laughs> it's uh, half a dozen faces I recognize exactly yeah. we were yeah like you know I ran into Ian at uh, at the opening night on uh, the Speakeasy Society's show you know and like and they had some they had some firing problems that night they had they had some timing issues and so they had to like you know do some retooling um, and what's kind of great is like their they're not going to do, uh, they're not doing five until next year. They're going to remount one through four before they do five. And, you know, there's probably going to be plenty of people who are like, God, what's taking so long? Where's the next one? And it's like, guess what? They're, they're going to have time to, like, really work something, you know? They're going to be able to pay it off for you. And they're going to be able to onboard a bunch of new people before they do the fifth thing and do it bigger and do it better. And, and hopefully deliver a product that everyone can be really excited about and maybe get even more people excited about this form because you know we're not done growing yet right, right? and maybe that's why it's 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 so you know scary but also great to be having this conversation right now is that we are at an inflection point because delusion's been going on for years now creep's got a couple of, a couple of years on it and uh, the demand is definitely growing but we're still not at the point where like Everyone has heard of this stuff yet, and it's enough to like turn things for the worse. Mm-hmm. If if a small show somewhere in downtown mm-hmm. LA gets someone seriously injured, it's gonna blow back on everybody, right. yeah. and that's that's wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that at this point, it it needs to shift from more of a creative outlet to uh, a. a, a Approaching it as a business enterprise. Dun, dun, dun. You know? And I mean, it's, it's scary to think that, I mean, especially for, for people who don't have the capital, who can create amazing things with very little. But the problem is, is that you need to make sure your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted before you dive into these things. Yeah. Especially if you plan on entertaining two, five, ten thousand people yeah. for your season. Yeah. You know, because that's then opening you up to all of these people if something goes wrong. That was tricky enough for me, even being in, I, a lot of the shows I've done in the past have been North Carolina, Orlando, not Los Angeles, and I've been adjusting to that side of things where the just spending the amount of time it takes to do all of the things you need to do for city regulations and permitting and all of those bits and pieces, that is a significant a chunk of your work. calendar that you can't <laughs> av- yeah. avoid at this point. Yeah, well, and there's, you know, there's definitely, there's, I feel like there's always gonna be a spectrum of the work. And there's always going to be stuff on the DIY scale. And we want that. We want people coming in and innovating. But we just want people thinking in, we want to think, have them thinking about where this is going to go, right? right? And not to start off thinking that, you know, there's never going to be the day where they don't have to face the building inspector. There's never going to be the day where they don't have to deal with insurance. That's just not right. true. If your show gets hot, they're going to show up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Vice shut down play. You know, and they were just doing their. Um, they were selling beer at their, you know, ten-minute short play pop-up series that was once a month. That was basically just like two sh- steps up from a house party. But Vice was like, "Oh, you guys don't have a permit. You're done. This is yeah. an illegal assembly." And just like, boom, 
finished, right? Um, we don't want to see that happen. We don't want to see people getting shut down, and particularly because people do have an ambition to go and, and grow their shows. But it's got to be frustrating to like watch people who are you know dotting their I's and crossing their T's and then watch a show pop up that uh, isn't doing any of that stuff and you know, agitating the beast, agitating right. the city. And there are ways, to be fair, that you can have something that appears to be a DIY or a pop-up show, but you spend enough runway to make sure that you were planning for it the correct way. Yeah, there, a friend of mine, uh, Leonard Pickle, who works in the traditional haunted attraction sort of world, has been saying right now he gets people approaching him in September to open up shows in October. He's been saying, <laughs> and, and he's been telling people, that's perfect. It's just the perfect time to start thinking about your show in October of 2018, yeah, which right. is the reality. So yeah. you can do a DIY show that's very successful and still feels you know, uh, vital and new and small, but you need to be able to give yourself enough runway to make it yeah. still successful even then. And the more time you put into a project, the more values in it. Just, just in terms of just sheer you know, person hours that go into building something, but also in terms of what people are able to pull out. You know, I really feel like taking the time manages to, to pay off in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's and this is the difference between people confusing always like, you know, the, the symbol for the signified, right? It's like, oh, wow, this is really fun. They just did this, that, and the other thing. But that, that's easy. I could do that. I could take this apartment. I could stick people like in some cubby holes, have them jump out. I could like put a yoga mat down, have someone grab someone by the ankles and yank them down and drag them down the, the hallway. This is a long enough hallway for that sort of stuff. Yeah, and if I want to do that... I need to have been planning like four months ago and like tested 17 different ways. And, <laughs> yeah, longer. Yeah, you know, just to just start the workshop process, right? right. right? You know? It's probably um, helpful to like keep a mantra in your head of just, is this a good idea? Is this a good idea? Is this a good idea yeah, as you go one along? One of the best things that uh, uh, a gentleman I used to work with, because I also work with students, uh, and it's, what are you going to tell the doctor you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great yeah. it's a great perspective to take yeah. So. yeah what are you going to tell the doctor you were doing oh my god that's that's true that's true what are you going to tell the doctor you were doing um, what what should people I don't want to discourage people entirely so like what's a good mental and we're on this idea of mental checklists what, what are you going to tell the doctor you were doing is, is this a good idea what are the kind of mental checklists creators should be Developing in their own mind about how to approach this stuff in a way that's in a way that's safe. Well, I mean, I think Kevin touched on it earlier is, is having that team behind you, mm -hmm. that know-how. Like um, one of the things that you know, I, I it's like a great trait to have is I don't always have an answer, but I know where to find it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and, and that's one of the things is, is doing the research, is having the people. And, and having people who aren't afraid to say, you know what, I don't know how to do it. Let me go find out. Let me, I know someone who does. Uh, there was an escape room that I've been helping with and, and there was something that I saw where, you know, I have a pretty good mind and pretty good eye on construction and stuff like that, but I don't have all the answers for it. And I looked at it, I go, this looks like it could be a problem to me. I'm gonna call Kevin. He'll come out here and check it for you. And they're like, cool, yeah. And they're like, we're not sure about it either. You know, you point it out, we see what you're saying. So yeah, Kevin came over and looked at it and gave him some advice on it. And that's just one of those things where it's like, no, I don't have all the answers, but I know where to. And I think creators need to be able to, you know, be okay with 
people saying, I don't know, let me find out, and themselves going, you know what, I don't know how to do this, I need to go find somebody who does. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and again, it's also, you know, it's, it's highly competitive. It's a highly competitive industry because everybody wants to be the next new hot thing, the next new great idea. But at the same time, if you're just starting out, you can't be afraid to reach out to people with the experience. You yeah. can't. And I think that, again, it's, it's like with the formation of Leia, is that I think this is going to open up an opportunity for creators to safely reach out to people and feel as though that their ideas are safe and secure and nobody's going to steal those yeah, ideas. Yeah. And I, yeah. that, that's a massive chunk, I think, and, of what oh, people and should it, be able to do and feel. Especially because it's a really interesting and cool industry in the sense that even though it is competitive, for the most part, we all want to see each other's things do well because yes. the thing that does well for delusion is going to do well for creep and you know and for anybody yeah. else in the business. We can yeah. all learn from each other. We can, yeah. we can all learn from each other. And we're and still learning. Delusion yeah. is still learning yeah. this many years later. Yeah. And the bigger the audience gets, the bigger the audience gets, the longer the runs get to be, right? I mean, that was the, the very idea behind NoPro in the first place was like, let's build an audience that transcends any one company and starts becoming, you know, the audience for this type of work so that more people can create work. Right. Um, and because, you know, tr theater traditionally was like, oh, you know, like a theater troupe builds its audience based off the friends of the actors and directors and writers, and then those people bring in some more people, then they become static, and then they, they get to a stasis point. And then, you know, as those people die, the troupe slowly dies as well. But if you have... A scene, and you have people cross-pollinating, then this, then the companies don't have to die just because you know everyone gets old. Um, and and there are things coming up. Like what's been amazing about you know opening the doors on Leia is that even though we're going slow and deliberate, right? Like it's 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 slightly terrifying to like be out in the open when we don't have all the legal things squared away. Like we are exposed in certain ways, uh, but we're we're you know, making sure that we take this momentum we had of the creators meeting each other and talking behind the scenes as it was and, and pushing it towards clear goals. There's a need from the group as a whole to deal with the permitting situation in Los Angeles. There's a need for coming up with some standards and practices that people can refer to. There's there's what's been great in the past week since we've gone public is people are popping up and saying, hey, you know what? I'm and you know, I have my certificate in this sort of work. I'm willing to go and help people figure out and navigate or come by and check out. You know, maybe there should be a safety inspector team that can be like loaned out to go through. And you know, right now I, I wouldn't send a team of safety inspectors because you know to sign off on something because there's no legal entity and it would be like and then no one else got sued because he sent two people to go check on the show and they said it was fine and it's like well you know like dumpster living's great guys you know like this is fantastic but like once there is a legal entity well then yeah you know like send that out and like never a guarantee never a seal of approval like yeah you're definitely not going to get injured right. but but it adds credence to people's projects absolutely exactly right. yeah. and the other thing that's cool too is that the creators will find appealing is that not only does it give you that credence, but also those people that come in that are, are specialists that put their hand up are people coming from different uh, perspectives. So they can come into your show and help you with that safety thing, but also say, hey, there was this weird thing that we did in a thing 10 years ago, and you'll boom, you have a new idea for a room or a part of your experience that you never would have had if you hadn't brought in some different voices. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think people worrying about people stealing ideas is just ridiculous. I mean, like, everything's a remix as the saying goes and it's the execution that matters you yeah. know and like an idea can be amazing and if the execution's not there whatever and an idea can be lame and if the execution's there people are going to crow about it like oh my god it was so cool when wait I just I walked down a hallway 
why was that cool? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, there's a really good light and there was a really good actor. And also with an idea, like sometimes when you throw it out there and you bounce it around, the idea grows into something even better than it started off as, too. So if you hold it too close to your chest, it never has a chance to grow. That, right. So Exactly. Yeah. Creative, yeah. Open creative discussion develops and, and hones and will distill down the best possible product for your audience. Yeah. yeah. And and enable people to discover things that they, you know, maybe didn't know were possible or about themselves. Is there anything about the about the 45 minute mark give or take? Is there anything that you know we haven't touched on during this little discussion as as my neighbor's unbalanced fan drives <laughs> everyone listening to this a little insane? Um, anything we should tag in here on? Did we miss anything? And this is sort of a kind of quasi-big deal. I don't know. I, you know, I think it's what you're saying, too. We don't want to discourage people from ever trying to do this stuff. I think that there are certainly tools out there. As everybody's been saying, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, if there's a big takeaway, it's don't come away from hearing something like this and say, oh, I'm never going to do this now because I'm too scared. There's there's plenty of resources. And I think you just have to be ready to... to Stand back and look at your show as it's evolving and stop and say, is this moment safe from a live performer standpoint? Is it safe from a scenic standpoint? Is it safe from an effect standpoint? Right. And and give yourself those moments because that and combined with asking for help from friends can really help you make a great show. Yeah, and I, th- I think that right now, uh, right now more than ever in this moment, in this season particularly, is that this is the beginning of the formation of the future of immersive and interactive entertainment here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And if yeah. we don't all work together, we're going to screw it up and it's going to be over. Mm. Yeah. No, that's really true. And I would and I would add two notes on the, you know, looking for, for folks, you know, don't be afraid to ask. You know, don't be afraid to ask for help, but do try and find people who you know know what they're doing. Yes. Like don't yes, don't just ask, don't just, you know, get advice from someone because they say like, "Oh yeah, like I totally know." Like know their track record, ask for a CV, ask for recommendations or, or references or go to the people you know, like, "Oh, there's a show I respect and I felt like they did it right." And then ask them who helped you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can, go to that person. Yeah. Right, but like trace the line. It's it's just like learning how to be a writer. Don't just read your favorite writers. Read their favorite writers. So find the people who find where they learned how to do it. Right. And, and and there's a difference between a screenplay writer and a, a play writer. You know, there's a difference between the pyro expert and the the <laughs> the expert in the close range pyro that's right by a gas too. So I think yeah. those mm-hmm. those elements. There are definitely people who specialize in the very specific things you're looking for. So don't mistake one specialty for being able to do it all in any context as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. And then the other thing is, as we do build out Leia, uh, there's there's a very good chance we will have some desk that fields these exact kind of questions, like, who can I find to help out? So, uh, and if you keep, and here's the biggest thing, if you guys keep asking us to have that feature, we're gonna be forced to have that feature. Mm-hmm. So feel free to make, I don't wanna use the word demands, but you know, the thing that gets asked for the most is going to be the thing that we deal with the most. So yeah. feed um, the suggestion box. Yeah, please feed yes. the suggestion box. I'll plug that right now. It's contact at Leia.design. That's how you let us know what it is uh, uh, you you need. Guys, thank you for taking the time uh, on a Sunday uh, to sit here and talk about this stuff. 
uh, and endure the sound of an unbalanced fan. Uh, <laughs> Anytime. Those, those of you who listened to this part of the show and you heard that, it's like, I know, I, trust me, I wish we were in Think Tank. But if we were in Think Tank, we'd probably be dead because there's no air conditioning in the room where we record. <laughs> so, uh, six to one, half a dozen to the other. Once again, I want to thank David, Kevin, and Ian for being the panel on this week's episode. I just want to note, um, it's been so great to see the community's response to what's happened, to these issues, uh, to sort of know that you know, 99.99% of us are on the same page when it comes to all of this. Um, that's That bodes well for our future that bodes well for the continued development of this as a, a re-emerging art form. Um, it bodes well for the possibility of there being like an industry in the long run. We take this stuff very seriously. Uh, a lot of you probably know that we are in the middle of forming a uh, you know, nonprofit member organization for the creators uh, that's called Leia, the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists. Um, which you can find more about at founding.lea.design. Uh, and there'll be even more in the coming weeks, uh, including um, we've got an informal meetup coming up in Los Angeles on September the 23rd at the Thirsty Crow, uh, which is in Silver Lake. Uh, you can go on Everything Immersive and uh, check out the details on that. It's kind of a drop-in, drop-out. I call it office hours. Uh, so you don't have to stay the entire time. Just come on by, you know, meet me, meet some of the other uh, members of the founding committee, uh, find out what we're up to when it comes to forming the other committees and, you know, so where we are in the track. Um, Leia in the long run is uh, going to, you know, directly confront the kinds of issues that we talk about in, in this episode. Uh, there's some stuff we do in terms of um, talking with the city. Um, it means that we're not sure exactly what nonprofit structure we're going to be using yet because there are, you know, legal requirements about, you know, how much of a budget goes which way and the other. So we're, we're doing this slowly and deliberately and making sure we get it right because we believe with all of our hearts and all of our minds that uh, immersive is not just a fad that's dropping through. It's not just a buzzword, although, oh my God, uh, I've seen it used so many times this week uh, from Apple talking about phones to Microsoft talking about, um, you know, pictures on a video game screen. Uh, I love, people love the emotional quality of immersive uh, and, and, and to the point of it being uh, just a buzzword. But those of us who are initiated uh, we know what's really going on and we know that there is brand new vistas that have yet to be invented yet. Um, that's a lot of yetting. This might even be a Yeti. Um, like this microphone. Look, what I'm trying to say is, um, it's, is all fun and games until someone gets hurt or until you can't get a permit to put your show on or until um, your your day job uh, just just dries up your ability to do this work. We don't want any of those things to happen. We don't want people getting hurt. We don't want people being denied their permits. We don't want day jobs getting in the way of creating just amazing, amazing work. We want this to be a real thing 
that provides living wages to the people who make it and just to keep growing and growing. We want a pathway for artists coming out of school or who never went to school. We want it for artists who are in Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco, and Peoria, and Nebraska, and Austin, and Houston, and Orlando, and Tampa, and Fayetteville, and I could keep going. Um, we want it in New Zealand. We want it in Australia. We want it in France. We really want it in Barcelona because we want to go to Barcelona. Uh, we want it in all these places. This is why we do what we do. And we know it's not going to happen overnight. But we don't care. We found our collective calling and we're answering. This is us answering. So thank you again to the guys for being the guests on the show. Um, we're going to, like I said, we've got an episode lined up that's about the psychological side of safety. That's coming up soon. It's not in the can yet. Uh, we've got to, we've got to record it, but I'm really looking forward to doing that one with all of you for all of you. Um, yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, got some office hours coming up. Those are both Leia and Nova office hours. So I will be there. Go on to everything immersive, check it out there. Um, connect with us in all sorts of places, you know, um, if you're still listening, yeah, we, we're messing around with some 360 stuff that's going to show up on YouTube, uh, you know, this weekend, uh, you know, may, maybe a little later in this weekend, you know, but probably almost certainly this weekend, uh, we're taking it, taking it, uh, just, just making sure no one feels like they're, they, they look silly. I mean, we look silly, but you know, like no one goes like, Oh God, no, not that. Um, just, you know, being fair. It's a, it's a new medium. Um, we've got, uh, We've got stuff always happening at Everything Immersive, which is our Facebook group. You can check that out at everythingimmersive.com. Keep up with us on Twitter. Um, there are ticket sales going on left and right. A great way to keep up with that is to ask to join our Slack. You can email me, noah, at nopersinium.com, and I'll get you into our Slack where we do the ticket alerts. And you can have Slack on your phone, and it pops up as a notification. It's pretty cool. Um, managed to get people some Waking La Llorona tickets thanks to that system. Uh, we've got, um, we've got the website, nopersinium.com where we have reviews, a bunch of reviews went out this week. Some interviews went out this week. Uh, it's not just the podcast. Some people say like, Oh, the no Persinium podcast. It's like, Oh, it's a, it's a whole no Persinium thing. Um, yeah, we did a lot of talking. Uh, I gotta, I gotta run to work. Um, I miss you. <laughs> I do. Um, I see you all the time and I miss you. Isn't that funny? Um, isn't, isn't that funny? Who am I talking to? I'm talking to you, of course. Who else would I be talking to? We do this every week. Don't you know? You remember, right? You remember what it was like. Um, that actually reminds me. Uh, Stars in the Night. Uh, hope they extend. Really, really enjoyed the core of that show. Uh, some of the best site-specific, site-responsive theater making I've seen. Full stop. Full stop. Um... I could sing the praises of the actors in the centerpiece of that uh, one uh, for for hours, and indeed uh, will do so if you buy me a drink on the twenty third. Do I do I do public meetups at my favorite bar just to get free drinks? Hey, look, they're only five dollars a throw, and no, that doesn't get you out of joining the Patreon. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. I could ramble for a while. You know I can. I'm gonna stop now. Until next time. Oh the credits. Ha ha. The music for this episode is by the incomparable 
Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backer for this show is Ross Sigworth of the Rathskeller Club in San Francisco. Shout out to my crew up there at Rathskeller. Uh, also, shout out to Mike Fontaine of My Haunt Life, who had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Mike. And he spun, because Mike is a DJ, spun at Broadway Bar this week. And uh, he is really good at that. We got to get him to DJ one of our parties. There, those are the things that I didn't want to forget to say. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>